so where are we? <laughs> our unique oneness. I love that. Our unique oneness. That's it. Celebrating our unique oneness is the theme for the month. And, you know, I was looking at the, the big picture. And the big picture is spirit, soul, and body, right? That's really all there is, spirit, soul, and body. And it's really, well... Not three di distinct parts of us, right? But the dynamic entity of spirit, soul, body. I mean, we should just make one word out of it. Just spirit, soul, body, you know? We are that which thou art. There is just aspects to things. Spirit is anything. Do we have the teaching symbol? I think we have a teaching. Yeah, there we go. Woohoo! Right, just leave that up. We, we are that. We are that which spirit is, you know? And spirit, and when you look at the teaching symbol, is spirit is all there is, really, you know? That's the whole, the circle. Ernest Holmes created that circle meaning eternity, you know? And so it's three aspects of one thing. Spirit is everything. The energy that infuses every living and non-living thing. Energy, that's it, energy. New thought is really attractive to atheists, right? <laughs> you know why? Because what we say is energy. Do you believe in energy? Well, of course we believe in energy. We've learned all about that in physics, in high school, chemistry. Of course, everything is energy. Yes, we're saying the same thing. Everything is energy. We believe that energy is sentient, loving, beloved energy that seeks to know of itself in form. So that energy, that is all there is. That energy, which can neither be created nor destroyed, Right? That's what we learned in physics. Always has been, always will be. It's everything from the mineral to the plant to the animal to us. Everything is made from that same energy. That's spirit. I think that's spirit. Right? It makes up everything. It is both imminent and transcendent. It is within everything and stands outside of everything. And it is, is over and all, every, you know, over and, and around and through and all everything, right? That energy, that's God. There is nothing outside of spirit. Now, I know that Ernest Holmes made that circle, and it looks like a closed circle, but it is not. It is just the idea that there is nothing outside of spirit. There is nothing outside of spirit. There is only spirit. It expresses itself in form, all form, including us. It seeks to know of itself in its creation. That's spirit. So that's all of us, and that is all the manifest universe. The ground that we walk on is the body of God, right? It is the natural and logical outpicturing of an energy that seeks to know of itself in form. All form, all form. So nothing lies outside of spirit. That's us. That's the manifest universe. And now you look at the, the, the drop it down a little bit, soul, right? Soul. Huh. That is the universal subjective mind. It's not two different things. It's not God, oh, and then there's soul, oh, and then there's body. It's not three different things. It's three aspects of the same thing. So spirit, which is us in the manifest universe, it's, it's, it's out picturing itself in form. And then you have soul, that universal subjective energy, that aspect of spirit, the soil. Does it, is that word up there? No, okay. Well, Ernest Holmes called it the soil, right? Seed, soil, plant in those three parts. So that soul part is that universal subjective. It is the soil through which spirit plants the seeds for manifestation, for creation. That middle section, that soul or the law, well, you've heard us say the law, right? We put things into the law and then the law goes to work out picturing them. It neither questions nor evaluates what is put into it. You plant a, a watermelon seed, 
you're going to get a watermelon plant, right? You're not going to get a tomato plant. Soil doesn't care which seed you put in. It's not going to say, no, 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 it's not the right time to plant watermelons. What's wrong with you, silly human? No, it just accepts whatever is put into it. It is the servant of the word. And the word is God, and that is our word as well, right? It is an aspect of spirit as well. It is not a separate entity. Don't believe those lines. <laughs> It's an aspect of spirit. It is also an effect of spirit, just like the manifest universe is. It is an effect of spirit. It's not separate. Just like you're described in many ways, are you not? You're a child. Maybe you're a parent. Maybe you're a brother or a cousin. You're a, you're a husband or a wife. You're an employee. You're a, a school counselor, whatever. You have lots and lots of ways to describe yourself. But you're not all of those different selves. Do you see what I'm saying? You're still just one. There is still unity. It's still just you, although you have many aspects to yourself. That's what we're talking about here with this chart. There are aspects. So it's all spirit. Different ways of operating. It has specialized itself so that there are different ways of, of operation of that energy. So it's all spirit. Soul is spirit as well. Universal soul, universal subjective mind, and the soul of the individual. Because what we're doing is we're reproducing this divine creative process within our own lives. We have personalized it. We've made it our own. And Ernest Holmes said this. He said, the soul in the human is the seat of memory. It is the mirror of the mind in the individual. It is the creative power within us, creating from patterns given to it and from the memories that it contains. We gather soul or subjective force as we accumulate experiences. We're here to grow our soul. We're, we are here to expand our soul, to experience life in form. That's what spirit is, is seeking. It's seeking to know itself in form, so here we are. We're spirit in form. All right, give God a good time. <laughs> That's what we're here to do, you know? The human soul, this is the soul of the individualized human, is our own use of individual subjective. Universal subjective mind. It is the meanness of me, the, the pattiness of patty. It's my own personal soul. And I believe as the individualized part of me, it is the part that survives physical death, right? The body is just the organic matter, you know? It's a skin bag I'm driving around in. That has an expiration date. And, I, you know, and then the soul moves on to the greater experience, whatever that is. Ernest Holmes didn't say what it was. He didn't say, here, this is what happens to you after you die. And actually what he said is if somebody stands up here and tells you, that's, you know, that here's what happens to you after you die, you should run screaming from the room <laughs> because nobody knows. In fact, it's the only chapter in the Science of Mind textbook that he wrote in the first person. Did you know that? The chapter on immortality, I think it's chapter 11, I don't know, is it 11, 12? I don't remember. Whatever. The chapter on immortality, it's the only chapter in the Science of Mind textbook he writes in the first person. Because what he's saying is, this is what I believe happens to me after I die. That's it. That's all he said about that. So that, so that soul, that individualized expression of us, that individualized use of the universal subjective mind that is ours, that is the meanness of me, the unis of you, I think that's the part that survives after our body is just disposed of, right? Which leads us to the body, the bottom part right there, the body, the effect, the manifestation in form. 
The last link in the chain of creation, right? What is our, what is our uh, one of the taglines of religious science is thoughts are things. Thoughts are things, right? So we go from thought into some creative medium that does the work into a manifestation. Ta-da! The physical product. It is the last link in the chain of manifestation is the body. The body is the thing you're operating. Right now, you're the driver of it. You're hunkered down inside of that little suit you're wearing, and you're going to be there for the rest of your life. Hmm. Spirit is all there is, remember, even the body. Even the body. Think about what your body's made out of. Trillions of cells. Well, what are they made out of? They're made out of chemicals and enzymes, and what are they made out of? Well, they're made of atoms and subatomic particles, and what are they made out of? Quarks and things and electrons, and that's energy. It's just energy. It goes back to there's only one thing. There's only energy. Spirit is all there is, remember. Spirit is all there is. It's just specializing and doing different things and performing different roles with the same substance. And the substance is spirit, and that's what we are. We are entirely spirit, presenting itself in form for this moment in time, for this moment in eternity. We are here together. We've all chosen to take form right here, right now, in this space and time. Ta-da! Here we are. Here's spirit showing up as me. There's spirit showing up as you to have this experience right now. But that's, that's what we are. And we are left alone to discover our own divinity. That's what Ernest Holmes said. We come into form and we are left alone to discover our own divinity so that we can come to it naturally. And if we were programmed to know we are the divine in form, then we don't have free will, right? We have to discover it for ourselves. That is free will. Ernest Holmes wrote in the um, 10 lessons in his home study course on the meaning of the Bible, he said, he quoted Romans 7.24, who shall deliver me from the body of this death? And then he went on to say, this is the cry of a human soul in despair. Because he had come to the understanding, the meaning of divine presence, and appreciate the possibility of a law of good, But being human, like the rest of us, he had more or less failed to apply the law rightly. He had seen a goal on the pathway of life that he had not yet achieved. And don't we do that? Don't we always do that? That was Paul writing to the Romans, right? Because we come into form and we are left alone to discover our own divinity, our own divine nature, and we mess up with frequency, don't we? Well, I do. I should say I do. I'm sorry. <laughs> you guys probably have it handled. Okay. I mess up with frequency. Okay. We fall into the illusion of separation. I fall into the illusion of separation. Fall, fall into the illusion of fear. Like there's something to be afraid of. How can there be anything to be afraid of when we're all spirit? When we're, it's only one thing. Huh. We fall into the illusion of fear. We fall into the illusion of lack, of discord of dis-ease, of dismay, worry, you name it. There's all kinds of things out there that are false beliefs that are not true that we believe in temporarily because we have forgotten who we are. Hmm. You know, and, I, and, I, hmm. and we fall even harder when we are here in spiritual community like this and we're doing our spiritual practice day in and day out. We're doing our spiritual work and nothing happens, right? 
and conditions don't seem like they're changing, then we, then we fall even harder because it's like, hey, wait a minute. You're not keeping up your end of the bargain, God. Right? Well, I'm doing my stuff. I'm doing my prayer. I'm doing my work. I'm doing my, my meditation. I'm doing everything. Where's my reward? <laughs> I should be rewarded. Right? The temptation... The illusion that if we practice hard enough, that if we treat with sincerity, that we meditate and vision and do our best, we will be rewarded. God owes me. <laughs> I got to tell you, you know what that is? That's old time religion in new thought terminology. That's what that is. The idea that if I believe enough, God or Jesus or the Holy Presence will give me what I think I want. Right? Some sort of, you know, cash it in, cash it in, cash in my tickets. Hey, I did this, 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 and this this week. Where's my bicycle? <laughs> right? The idea that if I believe hard enough, then God will then turn around and give me what I want. I will be rewarded with heaven. <laughs> That's old-time religion and new thought terminology. This is us making God in our image. Right? We're creating the God we want, and here's what he's got to do, or she's got to do, or they've got to do, or it's got to do, whatever, however you describe God. Now, what that is, is that same old or traditional philosophy of Jesus being loved for what he could do for the believer, right? In what Jesus could do for them which was mainly save them from eternal torment <laughs> and provide them a one-way ticket to heaven, right? That was the whole point of believing it. You could live an awful life and you could rip off your friends and neighbors and be just a criminal and just have a horrible life, but in the end there, right before you die, just take Jesus as your Lord and Savior, boom, ticket to heaven, right? That was it. Now, new thought falls into that same illusion when we practice our affirmative prayers and we do our meditation and we do our visualization and we expect God to keep up its end of the bargain, right? This prayer bargain by giving us what we think we want. That's the law of attraction, isn't it? Come on, right? Give, give, give. Give me what I think I want. That is believing in Jesus. And now New Thought came along and they, and they just turned it on its head, right? Instead of believing in Jesus, we're taught to believe Jesus. That's a whole other story. Ernest Holmes said this in Living Without Fear. He said, we think of Jesus the way shower as a divinely inspired personality, a teacher of humans, a lover of humanity, a special kind of genius, the conscious knowledge of God which impregnated the mind of the human." Jesus, we think of as the Christ, the Christ consciousness. To worship this personality is idolatry. To believe God gave more of itself to this man than to other men is superstition. To think the word of Jesus had the power to change natural order of reality or refute natural laws is ignorance. We're not here to believe in Jesus like he was some exception, like he was and we're not. We're, we, are, we are here to explore the nature of what Jesus taught. 
He was a way shower. And what did he teach? He taught love, forgiveness, mercy, kindness, service. Those were all the lessons of Jesus, right? Here we are on Palm Sunday. So we're here to walk the walk. We're here to walk the walk. We're not here necessarily to believe in him, in what he can do for us. When Jesus walked into Jerusalem, that Palm Sunday story, the people around him expected something from him, didn't they? They expected something big. He was the guy, right? He was the guy. He was the redeemer. He was the, the freedom fighter. He was going to free them all. And then he comes in on that little donkey. And it was like, oh, you know, oh, crap. You know, they expected a gigantic steed, you know, because the horse, the horse was a symbol of war, of victory, right? Yeah, so he chose that. Not. He chose the little donkey. He chose the symbol of, of peace. The servant. People were expecting him to do something for them. And when they didn't get what they wanted, right, the songs of Hosanna turned into chants of lock him up. Oh, excuse me. <laughs> Crucify him, right? Because they didn't get what they wanted. They didn't get what they thought he was going to deliver. And Jesus all along was trying to teach people to do for themselves, right? This is greater than these things. You shall do. Of course. He was trying to teach us what we should be doing with our lives. He was trying to teach people to do for themselves. Jesus was teaching us to live our greater life, not simply believe in his greater life. He was teaching us to live our greater life. I love this. Jonathan Merritt wrote an article um, on, on the Palm Sunday story, and it was called The Palm Sunday Story and the Gift of Disillusionment, which I love. And he said this. He said, ultimately, the triumphal entry is not about donkeys, and it's not about palm branches at all. It is a reminder that placing expectations on God based on our wants is a recipe for resentment. But nurturing openness to divine mystery is a, franchise, it's a, is a framework for faith. That's what we're here for. We're not here to rely on this Santa Claus God, you know, to deliver us gifts. We are here to sit in the mystery and develop our faith. Being in alignment, being in alignment, spirit, soul, body, right? When we are all in alignment... Then, then that action of spirit flows through us unimpeded. Being in alignment, spirit, soul, body, is, the, is to embody the lessons that Jesus taught. And that's what we're here to learn, the lessons that Jesus taught. Not that he was the exception, but that he was the example. That we were supposed to do that. That there is no separation. That the, there is only the illusion of separation. And if we owned our... Uh, spiritual nature, if we owned our, our power, we would speak our word and mountains would move, right? Spirit, soul, body, all the same stuff, remember? Spirit, soul, body. I'm going to make one word out of it. <laughs> Spirit, soul, body. We're all made of the same stuff. We're all made out of the same stuff. And Jesus was a way shower. He was like, here, this is what you got to do. Here's how you speak your word. Here's how you align with spirit. Here's how you make your, your power, you know, uh, flow into form around you. 
In the Science of Mind textbook, he says, to think of Jesus as being different from other men is to, un- is to misunderstand his mission and his purpose in life. He was a way shower and proved his way to be the correct one. His method was direct, dynamic, and powerful, yet extremely easy and simple to comprehend. He believed in God in himself as power and reality. Believing in God within, he was compelled to believe in himself. How could you not? How can you not? The spirit that created the entire universe is the same spirit that I'm made of, that exists within me. Was it Emerson? No, it was not. I always misquote him. Shoot, it's not Emerson, it's... Whitman? No, who is it? The seed of perfection that's nestled within you. I always, I always, it's not Emerson, it's somebody else, but I always quote it as Emerson. So now, for now, Emerson said it, but you know, he didn't. (laughs) He didn't, I'll find out who actually really did say it. I think it might have been Whitman. But anyway, the seed of perfection that nestles within us, that is spirit. That is spirit. And when we speak from that, we are speaking the word. We are the word made flesh. Jesus spoke peace, love, forgiveness, mercy, kindness, mostly forgiveness. He was all about the forgiveness, right? He said, I've come to fulfill, he was the fulfillment of the law. Here's our opportunity not to go all old school on people, not to go eye for eye, you know, an eye for an eye on people, all that Old Testament stuff. It was our opportunity to forgive to be loving, to be kind, to have mercy, to be of service. Jesus declared we spread our wealth around, give it to the poor, serve those in need. Oh my God, he was a socialist. (laughs) He sat with the disenfranchised. He ate with prostitutes and tax collectors. If Jesus returned today, he'd be at the border trying to get those kids out of cages. You know it, you know it. He'd be marching in Charlottesville, holding up a Black Lives Matter sign. He'd be on the front line of the Me Too movement, too. Jesus was here to show us a way, to be the great example, not the great exception. And we stand at the doorway of our own lives every moment, don't we? Every moment of our day, we stand at the gateway of our own Jerusalem, Are we going to march in? Are we going to surrender to that greater good? We're at choice all the time. Fall into the illusion of separation or stand in the truth and live that larger life. That's the Palm Sunday story. When he stood at the gates and was like, should I go? Should I go? Should I, you know? Do I surrender into that greater good or do I hot foot it down to Galilee, hop a cruise ship and get out of town? You know, that was the decision he made. Spirit has a great and grand idea for our lives, as big as you can imagine your life being. Your best possible scenario, your ideal scene, you know, we make those boards all the time, right? As big an idea as you have for your life, Spirit's is bigger. 
Spirit's idea for you is bigger and grander and more glorious and filled with abundance and filled with joy and filled with love. And are we bold enough and brave enough to stand at the gateway, to stand in front of that town and walk in and surrender to that greater idea? That's courage. Are we going to live that greater life? Are we going to say yes to spirit and live that greater life? That's the Palm Sunday story. Spirit has a great and grand and glorious idea for our life. And whatever we can imagine to do, spirit can grow us to do it. Spirit can grow us to be able to do that. Now, it's not about making deals with God, right? Here, I'm going to pray this, and I'm going to pray that, and you're going to give me this. That's a business deal. That's not prayer and faith, right? We need to know when we speak our word, we're speaking spirit. We are co-creators with the divine. When we go into prayer and we speak our word, you know, I, I, I was, um, we were having that discussion, you know, when, when we're, we reenact this divine creative process all the time, when we're sitting in, in meditation, we're the middle part, right? When we're sitting in meditation, we're kind of, we're acting out, we're viscerally experienced the middle that middle section, the universal receptive. Because what are we doing? We're sitting on our meditation cushion. We're actually sitting there, you know, we're sitting around waiting for nothing to happen, basically. And what we are is open and receptive to that still small voice. So we are being the law at that point, right? We're the open and receptive, uh, we are reenacting the open and receptive portion of God. But when we do affirmative prayer, we're at the top. We're spirit speaking its word. Now we are directing the law. So that top part, that's affirmative prayer. The middle part, that's our meditation. Those two parts together, we get to hear and speak the word of God. So when we speak our word, we are co-creating. We are co-creating our lives using a power and a presence that existed eternally. We didn't make it. We didn't make the power. We didn't put any power in there. It's always there. We're just using it. We are aligning with it correctly to speak our word, to change conditions around us. And so when we are speak our word, we are co-creating. We are, we are the word of spirit, directing the law. And the law what? The law just says yes. Remember? It has no volition of its own. It doesn't question. It doesn't evaluate. It just goes to work. And yes, we fall into fear because... We do, because we do, because a life in three, three dimensions, life on earth, life in form, and free will, throw that on top of everything else, we can fall under the illusion of separation, we can fall under the illusion of fear, the false belief of lack, limitation, and then what happens, what happens is we start praying from that. We start praying from the, from the feelings of lack and limitation and separation. Was it, was it Emma? I don't remember. Was, <laughs> I want to cite it, but I can't. Okay. I don't get what I pray for. I get what I pray from. That's what we do. We don't get what we pray for. We get what we pray from. So if we're praying from a sense of limitation, if we're praying from a sense of lack and desperation, the, the law goes, okay, here you go, more of the same. Yeah, so you get more lack, so you get more limitation, so you get more frustration. We don't get what we pray for, we get what we pray from. 
So it is important to be in that state, to be in that meditative state, to be in that state of oneness with, with the divine, to know you're speaking the word of God. When we do that, we are in alignment. When we're praying out of desperation, when we're praying out of separation, when we're praying out of fear, that is not in alignment with divine truth. Remember, remember Ernest Holmes' quote, the, the believing in God within, Jesus was compelled to believe in himself. He was compelled to believe in himself, just like we are. If we believe, honestly believe and accept and embody that idea that God is within me, I am housing the divine, I've got to live accordingly. When we speak our word, mountains move because we are the divine in form. We must be compelled to believe God is within and believe in ourselves and our word as power and, and not beat ourselves up when we fall into fear. We do. We fall into fear. Don't you fall into fear? I do. I fall into fear. I fall into the illusion of separation sometimes. I, I spin out of control sometimes. Like, ah, I want to control everything because I control nothing. Right? Do you, ever, do you ever get that way? I'm on the phone. You know, I turn into that pterodactyl. You know, right? You know. <sighs> the idea is to not beat ourselves up when we do that. You know, when we're spinning out of control and being all afraid and being all angry and being all upset and you're just like, look at me spinning out of control. I'm so lovely when I do that. I'm just so cute. Just cute as a bug. You forgive yourself, and then you can let it go easier. Then the guilt doesn't keep you trapped in that awful behavior. It's because just something you did. Remember, okay, remember the disciples couldn't get it right. You know, I don't think we're doing too badly, actually, when you think about it. Look, they were with Jesus in his three-year ministry when all he talked about was peace and love and forgiveness and mercy and turning the other cheek and everything was nonviolence. And what happened? Man, as soon as the, as soon as the, the uh, guards came to arrest him in the, in the garden, what happened? One of his disciples picked up a sword and chopped the ear off of one of the, one of the guards. <laughs> Could you imagine Jesus standing there going, what the? <laughs> Did you learn nothing, you know? Did you learn nothing? Could you imagine? Jesus was, you know, and of course Jesus touched the ear and healed it because his ministry was love and mercy and kindness and nonviolence. And Jesus touched the, the ear of the guard and healed it. And he must have been thinking to himself, oy vey. <laughs> well, he was Jewish, you know. So, do they not listen to a word I say, you know? Ernest Holmes said, we cannot live a choiceless life. Every day, every moment, every second, we are at choice. And if it were not so, we would not be individuals. So this day, so this day, we have to lift up. Lift up our eyes. Lift up our hearts. We have to lift up our intentions. We have to keep our eye, our, our, our focus single, right? That, that singular vision for our lives. The, the idea that this is one. We're not three different things. We're not parts of, of spirit. The wholeness of spirit is within us, flowing through us, being us in the world. Spirit, soul, body, all one thing. 
God is all there is. Core concept number one. There is only God energy. That's all we are. And we are, we are just experiencing it. We are it. So this week, this holy week, right, is a reminder of who we are. It is a reminder that we, we are that which thou art. So it is, it is for us to do the work. It is for us to walk the, the walk and to live the life, to believe Jesus, not believe in him. Thank you so much.